Well, good morning, church. What a joy it is to be back in the south. Where I live, this is still warm. So praise the Lord, and, and wow, thank God this church is always one of the kindest, most welcoming places I've ever been, and, and so it's just a joy to be able to be here with you. So whether you're home folk or whether you're visiting, man, it's just, it's just so good. I'll bring greetings from our church in Ohio, from my family who sadly couldn't join me. Uh, man, your church is looking awesome, man. You guys got some changes, and you got folks in the other room. Hi. Uh, this is awesome. We are kicking off this conference, and it officially begins tonight, but uh, this morning what I want to do is just kind of get us ready and kind of do that. And so in, in preparation for that, I'd kind of like to, I hope you all don't mind, at times in our church, I'll, I'll take like an informal survey. You all ready for an informal survey? How many of you, I know there's some of you for sure, right? have grown children. Your kids are grown out of the house. All right, good. Bunch of you. Okay, now, how many of you would say, of, of those of you that have grown children, how many of you would say, if you're willing to admit it, uh, of course you'd be willing, that your relationship with your kids now is better than when it was, like when they were teenagers? <laughs> I think more people raise their hands to that one <laughs> than the first one. Okay, how many of you that have grown children and are enjoying, how many of you expect that for the rest of your lives, because, well, you did a good job and your kids turned out good, and, and so you anticipate the rest of your lives, just a joyful relationship with your kids and grandkids? This is getting easy, isn't it? Okay, let me ask you this. If you're an adult and say around late 20s, early 30s, and you're fortunate enough to have your parents still in your lives, how many of you, if you were younger adults, would say, man, I, I love and appreciate my parents more now than I used to when I was younger? Seriously. Okay, so I'm still hoping that my kids come to that conclusion. Okay, so <laughs> of course those things are true. Of course everybody pretty much understands that. What, what I want to use that informal survey for is just to kind of spark your interest in your mind towards the idea that, well, that being the case, why would we expect anything different in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And so what we're going to be talking about this week is discipleship, but really discipleship is about growth and maturity, isn't it? And so in our church in Ohio, I've been doing a series and it's we're calling it Spiritual Growth and Maturity. We're actually studying the book of 2 Peter, and um, if you'll come back in this week, I'm actually going to have a couple of opportunities to talk a little bit about some of those things. And, um, but what I'm going to share with you today is going to be out of 2 Peter chapter number 1, so you can go ahead and get your Bibles open and kind of prepare for that. But this is going to be a great week, and, and Brian Hedges is going to do a great job. You're going to be excited to hear from him and all the others that will come, and um, there's going to be a lot of good teaching that's going to be coming forth and really encourage you and help you in your life. But this morning, to kind of get us started, what I want to do is I want to begin with the end picture. I'm a big picture guy. I like to see the big picture and know where I'm going because what that does is it gives me better value and understanding of why I'm doing the things I'm doing today if I know where it's going to take me. And so the question I'd like to propose to all of you today is this, is why bother? 
with discipleship. Have you ever just sat and thought about that? I mean, why bother? Is this just something else to do? Is this just something else that the church proposes to keep me busy so I don't get too carnal? I mean, really, why do we talk about this thing? Well, the obvious answer is, is that if you continue to grow, because discipleship is just about growth, right? If you continue to grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and not blow it, right, well then what you're going to do is you're going to enjoy the promise that God gives to us in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, where Jesus said, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And so Jesus Christ desires that each and every one of us live an abundant life, okay? And so that's the title for today's message is how to guarantee an abundant life. I I like how-tos. I like people telling me some steps. And what do I need to do to understand how I can get where I want to go? And so just like the sweet relationship that you adults enjoy with your grown children, because your children have grown to maturity, you now enjoy your relationship with them more, we're going to learn about we as God's children growing to full maturity, enjoy our relationship with our Heavenly Father even more. But I want you to notice in John 10.10, there is an enemy, right? You do have somebody who's trying to stop you. He's a thief. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy and you need to be on guard for that. So we need to watch and we need to pray. What I'm going to do, let, let me just read for you. Um, we're going to start in verse number 4. We're going to come through verse 14. We're only going to study some of those verses today, but kind of to give it context, follow along if you will. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse number 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. We will look at some of these things in details in the day sessions. Where we're going to really look at starting this morning starts in verse number 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yeah, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. So with that in mind, let me just pray, focus our minds, and we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, we are so humbled and grateful for all that you do for us. You have done, continue to work in our lives. I'm so thankful for this opportunity that we have before you, but Lord, we are here before your holy word, and we pray that your spirit would do the work that only you can do, and that is to open our eyes, help us to understand, and speak to us the things that we need to know so that we can then apply them. Give us direction. Give us an understanding of the big picture. Help us to understand why we need to bother 
with this discipleship thing? What is it about your plan for us that is so fantastic that we would be fools to miss out on it? And I pray for anybody who's here who's still just wrestling with these subjects that today would be the day that they would see and that they would understand. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, if you're bothering to take notes, I basically just have a simple two-point outline. And the first point in my outline is talking about the conditions of abundant living. And that comes in the first few verses. So starting in verse 8, it says, If these things be in you and abound. So I want you to understand that in verse number 8, it starts off with that conditional statement, if, if these things be in you and abound, then a bunch of things are going to happen, okay? But if not, well, then some other things are going to happen. And so when it says, if these things, the these things referred to, and that's why I read these verses first, are the seven things that you add to your faith, starting in verse number 5. And again, in the day sessions, we'll go through this in some detail, but if these things, if you add to your faith virtue, and then you add to virtue knowledge, it doesn't say, by the way, add to your faith knowledge. Did you notice that? So come on back and we'll learn about that. And then to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, etc., etc. If these things be in you and abound. Well, if they abound in you, then I'd say you have a fair chance at living an abundant life, wouldn't you? This is the kind of life that Jesus requires. Jesus wants us to grow to full maturity. So this is the condition, that you're going to continually be working towards adding. Wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, just be adding the next thing and continue to live your life trusting Him. And if you will, if you will do that, then there's a promise. And it's a beautiful thing. It says, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. How many people live their Christian lives and go to church and and they're nice people and they're good neighbors and, you know, they don't smoke and drink and chew and run with girls that do. And I mean, they're nice people, but they truly, if you analyze your life, you don't have genuine fruit. People aren't getting saved. People aren't being grown up in discipleship. People aren't being trained. You're just a nice person who loves Jesus. Well, this is a guarantee. If you will have these things in you and abound, you'll never be unfruitful. You'll never be barren. God is looking for people like you to be able to work through. So you will have fruit in evangelism. You will have fruit in discipleship. You will find that what it does is is that it is just the natural overflow of that beautiful relationship, right, like between a husband and a wife. So if you have a beautiful love relationship in a marriage, what's the natural result? Well, it's fruit. It's the fruit of reproduction, And so as a result, this is what we're talking about here because neither barren nor unfruitful. Notice verse 8, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what this is really all about, this is really all about knowing Jesus Christ better. It's real, I mean, isn't he worth it? I mean, it's all about knowing Jesus Christ in a better way and developing ever more your growing relationship with him. And you're going to do that by adding to your faith virtue and then adding to your virtue knowledge and by adding to your knowledge temperance etc etc going down these steps because these are as you'll see very necessary steps in your journey of getting to know your lord and savior better you know how it works your relationship with the lord doesn't come just because you say the magic words of prayer at salvation 
Your relationship develops over time as you live your life intentionally and work through even the trials of life, amen, that are difficult sometimes and trusting God through these things. But at any point in your life where you decide, I'm done, I've done enough, I've grown far enough, I'm happy where I'm at, I'm tired of pushing this thing further, it's just getting harder. At any point where you just say, I stop, well, you're derailing your continued growth. And if you derail your continued growth, well, you put in jeopardy the opportunity to really have an abundant life. But the Lord desires to have this personal intimacy. He wants so desperately to enjoy this relationship with you for the rest of our existence in eternity. And so he sets up this pattern. If these things be in you and abound, then you have this great promise. But if they don't be in you, if they don't abound, well, then there's blindness. Look at verse number 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. So we would call this being legally blind, right? In other words, it's not totally blind because you can see a little. He says you just can't see afar off. And if somebody is legally blind, right, what, what do we know about them? Well, they can only see things very close to them. They can't be trusted to drive a car. Uh, these aren't people who can participate in all of the normal activities that maybe you enjoy participating in. If they can't see afar off, well, then their life is very limited, isn't it? I mean, they can't ride a bike or play sports or enjoy a sunset or, I don't know, there's just a lot of things that they can't do. And, and really what we understand about people like that is that, well, they need a lot of help, don't they? They need a lot of help. Have you ever noticed how people who are blind have to walk? How do they walk? Well, you know how they walk? They walk by feeling, don't they? Because they can't see. Well, the physical illustrates the spiritual, amen. You ever, you ever notice how Christian people who can't see afar off walk? They walk according to their feelings, don't they? That's how they walk. And you've run into them, and you just didn't realize it. Because spiritual vision, biblically defined is seeing the future. You have to be able to see where you're going. You have to be able to see what's ahead. Look, y'all, I mean, come on. Everybody can see what's going on here and now. Everybody knows and understands that, hey, what happened today? I like that. I don't like that. Did you see that? I saw that. Well, congratulations. That's easy. But can you see afar off? Can you see into the future? Can you see what's coming down the road? Yeah. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, if you're taking notes, is just a place that shows us that vision goes together with prophecy. And it's the prophecy of the 70 weeks, for those of you that are aware of that. The idea is spiritual vision is being able to see into the future. Spiritual vision has to do with future things, prophetic things. And if you look back in 2 Peter chapter 1 and you glance over at verse number 20, it talks about the prophecy. It calls it the prophecy of the Scripture. So if we're going to see things, we're going to need to see things through the lens of the Word of God because prophecy paints a picture of the future and faith is the thing that lets you see it today. 
Because future things are future. They haven't happened yet, but you can see them today if you have the eyes of faith. So what do we know about immature people? We're going to go back to our theme. We're going to go back to 2 Peter, and we're going to go back to what we're studying. People who have not grown, these things are not in them. These things don't abound in them. Well, they're blind. They can't see afar off. They have not developed their relationship with the Lord. They're immature. So what is their life characterized by? Their life is characterized by getting caught up in all of the things that are happening right now. You see, immature people can't see what's going to come. They can't understand what God is doing in the future. They don't understand what will come of their actions. I've raised teenagers. Do you have a section where teenagers sit? Not really. Good, good sort of you guys. We're coming over here. All right. So teenagers, maybe I should stay over here because... The adults kind of, okay, so I'm going to get some adult amens, no offense. Y'all have difficulty recognizing the consequences of your decisions sometimes. You know that? Not you individuals, the few that are sitting in this area, whoever you are, right? Because they tell me that even physiologically that the brain isn't fully developed in the areas that understand consequences and future thinking until later in your life, like around 20, 21, or something like that. The idea is this. Every parent of teens knows, amen, that the teenagers do some crazy things because they can't really see afar off. They don't understand. They just know that, man, this would be fun right now. Right? So I'm going for it. And the parents are like, oh, man, don't you know? what that's going to do to you? Well, the answer is, of course they don't know. They're teenagers, for crying out loud. So, man, that's a great picture spiritually because you know what happens in our churches? And, and thank God for teenagers, by the way. They're not children anymore, right? But our churches are full of teenagers, spiritually speaking. Our churches are full of people who have grown past the childhood stages. They've weaned themselves off the milk. And they're beginning to grow, they're beginning to get strength, but they still don't yet have spiritual vision. They still can't really see out into the future. They still don't really understand what is coming because they're still in the process of growth. They haven't really finished yet. Let me remind you of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. It says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And so hope, biblically defined, is not like, hey, is that going to happen? Well, I hope so. That's not biblical hope, right? Biblical hope is the full assurance that something that has not yet happened is going to happen. The blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is our blessed hope, not because, boy, I sure hope he does. No, he's going to come. It's our blessed hope because we know it's going to come. It's something yet future. And so in Romans 5, God says, and this is really good advice, by the way, you can actually glory in tribulations. I don't know about you. That's hard for me. 
when you're going through the trouble, when you're going through the tribulation, when life is not going well, and can I just tell you, recently in my life, things haven't always just been, you know, balloons and popsicles. I mean, it's been tough for us lately, you know, in my life and, and some of the ministry situations we're going through. Uh, things that I wish weren't happening, things that I wish would never have happened, things that have caused a lot of stress and strife in my heart and my life. But you know what? I'm not blind. I can see afar off. I can see what the prophecy of the Scripture says. I can see that tribulation works patience, and patience works experience, and experience works hope. And if we were to continue reading, and hope makes not ashamed. Because you can see the future. That's what the Lord's looking for. One of our most blessed, favorite promises of the Word of God, Romans 8, 28, right? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and them who are the called according to His purpose. Well, if we just stop there, which is typically where we stop, how do we know that? Well, because God said so. Yeah, but really, how do we know that? Because quite frankly, my situation, there's some stuff going on here and now is not good. But it doesn't say that they're always good. It says they work together for good. Now, why is that? Because of verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the future. Because whatever God is doing, he's doing in me, he's doing in you to make you more like Jesus. And if there's too much of you still in you, he's got to strip away some of you so that he can come through, right? That kind of rhymed. Okay, so I'll write that down. You have to be able to see the future. And if you're not continually growing in the discipleship process, you won't. You just won't. And you won't experience abundance. You won't be able to handle the difficulty when it comes. Okay, so not being able to see ahead goes together with not being able to see behind, right? Because it goes on then in verse number 9, and it says, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So you can't see ahead, and you kind of can't see behind. Listen, when you can take time and just pause and go back and in your mind do this, just remember where you were at when you received Jesus Christ. Can you remember what your life used to be like? Can you remember how it all came to you when you received Him that glorious day? Can you remember the immediate changes that began to take place in your heart and in your life? And for some of you, it's more dramatic than for others. But for all of us, it's a glorious new life. Man, if you can do that, you know what that does? That stimulates your ability to continue to trust Him looking into the future, even when things aren't always wonderful today. Let me just tell you something, church. If you don't remember where you've been and you can't see where you're going, you don't really know where you're at. Have you ever had somebody, you know, you have a get-together at your house and you give somebody directions or whatever and they call and they say, I'm lost. You know how it goes, right? And you say, oh, okay, well, where are you at? I don't know. Can't help you. I mean, I got to know where you're at to tell you how to get here, right? So this issue of remembering the past, y'all, is so important that Jesus instituted a church ordinance 
We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. That's what it's all about, right? And the first purpose of communion is that it's a memorial. It is something that we are to remember what Christ did for us. He allowed His body to be broken and His blood to be shed so that we can participate in His life forever. He suffered so that we don't have to. He did that for us. So in 1 Corinthians 11, when it talks about this, it says, this do in remembrance of me. But the second purpose of the Lord's Supper is self-examination, right? To check out your own heart and make sure that you're not harboring any sin today. So in 1 Corinthians 11 again, in verse 28, it says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Because when you come before the Lord's table, it's a time to remember what He did, but then make the application personally and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, how is my life in relationship with the Lord right now? And you examine yourself. That's what He calls you to do. But there's a third purpose of the Lord's table. And it's not just self-examination, but I'll call it relational examination because, well, the Lord's table, you need to understand It's not a table for two. It's not just you and Jesus. It's all of us and Jesus. It's for the whole church to come together. Do you remember the story when Jesus is having that last Passover supper with his disciples in John chapter 13? And that's the famous story where ultimately Jesus girds himself with a towel and takes the basin and washes the disciples' feet. And he comes around to Peter and he's like, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Peter is awesome, right? Because he says the stuff that we would say. And, and Peter's like, Lord, stop it. <laughs> How many times have you ever said that, right? And the Lord says, look, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, I, I don't have anything to do with you. So Peter's all in, right? So he's like, well, not just my feet, man. I mean, let's just take a bath. And the Lord's like, Peter, man, you know, you don't get it. I don't need to do that because you are already clean. Well, not all of you. Judas is still here, but except for Judas... You're all already clean, but I have to wash the dirt off your feet. You know what, they, you know what that is a picture of? You know what he's trying to, to make you understand? The washing has to do with the forgiveness of your sins. You are completely clean because you're already saved and you have been forgiven totally of your sins, but you walk through this world and you get your feet dirty. And you need to make regular stops with Jesus Christ and you need to let him clean your feet. Well, then he goes on in that ceremony. He says to the disciples, well, what I've done to you, go do it to one another. And so there's some churches that make foot washing an ordinance of their church. We typically don't do that, but whatever. I mean, I, I actually don't mind if people like to do that. The picture, though, the lesson, though, is just as Jesus will clean us up day by day as we blow it walking through this dirty, sin stained world. Do that to one another, y'all. You need to be willing to forgive one another. You can't come to the Lord's table and harbor sin and hatred and guile and whatever it might be against your brothers. That's what the Lord's table is for. He says, don't forget all of that. Man, if you've forgotten the importance of the crucifixion and you can't see afar off into the future, you know what? You're not growing. That's why it's an ordinance. And and I don't know your dynamic here in this church, but let me just ask this question because it's a big crowd. How you doing on keeping up with the ordinance of the Lord's Supper? When this church says it's time to do the Lord's Supper, are you sure that you're faithful to come? 
Do you make a time to really reflect on your own heart and life before the Lord? Do you make sure that your relationships with others have been cleaned up? Because that's what the Lord wants to do. That's all a part of your growth and maturity. And so that's really the condition. The condition for having an abundant life is that you continue to always grow even more in your life with the Lord. Okay, second main point in our outline is this. We had the conditions for the abundant life, and now we're going to have the counsel, the counsel for abundant living. Starting in verse number 10, it says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. So the counsel for abundant living is apply diligence. Apply diligence. In other words, don't quit. Stay at it, right? So the Bible defines diligence, not like we didn't understand it anyway. T- Proverbs 10, verse 4, he, that, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent shall, shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. In other words, the opposite of diligence is laziness. So you have to apply diligence to this process if you're really ever going to see it happen. You're going to have to work at it. It's going to be an effort. It's going to require some sacrifice. It doesn't come automatically. And it says you're to apply diligence to make your calling and election sure. By the way, you know, we've had to deal with some issues and among some of the people in our church about this false doctrine called Calvinism. And this is one of many verses in the Scripture that is a death blow to Calvinism. Because if you are unconditionally elected with having nothing to do with it at all and God just did it for you, why is somebody having to give diligence to make sure that he's called or elected? How in the world is that even possible? It's not possible. So calling an election in this context has to mean something different, right? So you are called and elected not to salvation, but to service. And that's what I want you to see. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 2, it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, for even hereunto were ye called. Unto what? Because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. It's living a life following His steps. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You're called to a vocation. You're called to a job description. That is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, to follow in His steps, to walk in His ways. And so as a result of your position in Christ, Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 are kicked off with Ephesians 4, 1 that says, oh, by the way, you need to live your life in such a way that it reflects who God already made you to be. That's your calling in life. So you need to give diligence to that. You need to give diligence to the fact that you make your calling and your election sure. You need to get busy. You've got work to do. And if you will do that, similar to our first point, then there are promises. And that's what we see continuing on. The first promise is you never lose your balance. You never lose your balance. For if you do these things, see it's conditional. If you do them, what are the, oh, by the way, the these things, what are the these things? Those seven things you add to your faith, verses 5, 6, and 7. If you do these things, right, you shall never fall. You fall when you lose your balance. 
right? So the promise applies to this life. Now, I gave you some slides. We have a slide with a balance diagram. Can we see that? Okay, so we use this in our church a lot, and I think it's very descriptive of how God wants us to live our lives. And so we have this balance diagram where basically you have to keep your life in balance. And you want to keep it in balance between who you are in Christ. That is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Oh, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. And what you do in Christ. And that's the great commission. Go into all the world, right, and make disciples of all nations. And so you have who you are and what you do. And what do we see in churches far too frequently? We see churches out of balance. By the way, the fulcrum, the balancing point that keeps it in balance, oh, of course it's the Word of God. Of course it all comes from the truth of the Word of God. But what you see is that there are some Christians and some churches that are all about just experiencing God and love God and I am and boy, this is awesome. But they never really get busy and do anything. They don't make disciples. They don't train missionaries. They don't start churches. They don't do the things that God asked us to do. And so they may enjoy themselves, but they're really fruitless. They're not fulfilling their calling. On the other hand, you've got a bunch of churches that, man, they're busy. And by the way, you know, independent Baptist churches, typically, if they're going to make a mistake, they'll make a mistake on this side. We're all about do, do, go, win, do, come to all the meetings, come to all. And we sort of forget that if we don't just experience the life of Christ and the filling of the Spirit daily, then that becomes really dry. And what happens is, is you get weary in well-doing. And you quit. You don't apply diligence. You drop out. And it derails your growth. And then you can't see anymore. And then you forget. St- see how it all ties together? But he says, man, if you'll do this, you'll never fall. Your life, listen, the troubles that I have in my Christian life, when they come up, they come up not because I don't know enough stuff. And there's a lot I don't know. But I know plenty to get me in trouble. The things that cause trouble in my life is when I overemphasize one thing to the exclusion of something else. I lose my balance. I lose my balance. And Proverbs chapter 11 says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. It's an abomination. So we need to keep our balance. But if you'll do these things, you'll never fall. Listen, that's discipleship. Y'all, are you tired of the roller coaster Christianity where based on your circumstances, here and now only, Things are great, things are awful. Things are great, things are awful. And you're just tired. Man, give diligence to the discipleship process. You'll never experience that kind of a life ever again. But not only will you never lose your balance, you'll never lose your reward. Look at this with me in verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you, here it is again, abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your entrance into God's kingdom will be abundant if you have applied diligence to your continual growth and development in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is kind of like the ticker tape parade for the winners of the championship. So I live in the Cleveland area, and the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, last year... They pulled it off. I don't know if you love that or hate that, but a few Ohio people do. 
okay, I know this, that when the Cavs, you know, I'm always pulling for the underdog anyway, so, man, when the Cavs won, the parade, can you imagine, downtown Cleveland, we never win anything. The parade was, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable to be topped only by the Chicago Cubs, which was even better. 108 years, never winning. There was like a million people down by the lakefront when they had that big party in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago, so sorry. Okay, so this is the abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord. This is the ticker tape parade for the winner, y'all. These are the people who have done what they're supposed to do. This is the abundant entrance. You think I'm going too far? 1 Corinthians 9.24 Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run, man, that you want to win. Listen, you don't want to be a part of the also-ran crowd. Not in your Christian life. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, you know this story. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's your salvation. Now if any man build upon this foundation. Oh, building, growing, that's discipleship. Building upon the foundation of your salvation. So you can either build with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So the abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this is not conditional upon, well, if you don't continue to do all these things, you lose your salvation and don't enter because it gives that adverb abundantly. You will enter abundantly. That's how you will enter. The idea is, oh, listen, even if you build nothing but wood, hay, and stubble, good news, you still enter. Hallelujah. Because it's not about what you did. It's about what Jesus did. So you're getting in. But man, all your arm hairs will be singed off. I mean... You know, work that picture on your own. Okay, so, man, you want to be clothed in righteousness. You want to have, man, you want to have that kind. But if you don't give diligence, well, then there's some reminders, right? So look at verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, Peter says, I will not be negligent. In other words, Peter says, I'm not going to be lazy. Peter says, I'm going to apply diligence. If you don't, I will. And if you don't apply diligence, then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to apply diligence. How? To put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. And he goes on and he says, look, I'm going to, I'm going to remind you over and over and over again that this is what you need to do. Listen, I've known your pastor for a long, long time. I, I count him one of my dearest friends in the world. I, I love him to death. I know you do too. You're so blessed to have this man in your church. But have you ever, don't say nothing out loud. I don't embarrass nobody. Have you ever wondered, why does he keep talking about the same stuff? Why do the same subjects just keep coming up over and over and over? And you say, how do you know? What he, listen, I don't even have to know because I know that's what we have to do. Doesn't he know that we know that already? Uh, yeah, he knows you know that already. 
Doesn't he know that a lot of us are already doing that? Yeah, he knows a lot of you are already doing that. But what is he doing? Well, he's doing what Peter said to do. He said that, look, I'm going to always put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them. Oh, even if you're established in the present truth, because what I'm going to do, verse 13, I think it meet, suitable, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. You know repetition is the key to learning. It's the key to genuine growth as well. You can't always show up and every time always expect to only hear something new. I mean, that's what carnal people do. Acts 17, 21, the Athenians, when Paul was in Mars Hill, all they ever wanted to do was gather and hear something new. They don't want to hear the same stuff over and over, over again. But let me assure you, if you are in a point in a stage in your Christian life where you need some new things, you need the Lord to give you some more info, you need to continue to grow and develop and you need those things, I promise you, Jesus will make sure to get it to you. Because in John 16, 12, he says to his disciples, and I love this verse, he says, I have yet many things to say unto you. And if you haven't heard them for a while, there's probably a reason. He says, but you cannot bear them now. Some of you need to understand that the reason why maybe you're not continuing to learn at the rate you used to learn may be because you're not exercising what you already know enough to find that you need more information to be able to deal with the situations you're in because of the ministry you're participating in. When you need them, man, he'll make sure you get them. So what is my job? What is your pastor's job? Well, it's to apply diligence to always remind you, even if you know them, even if you have been established in them. So this is the counsel, apply diligence to the discipleship process. Listen, it's easy to get forgetful. It's easy to get lazy, and we all need to be stirred up at times. And so pastors, teachers, we are a part of the body of Christ to be like a personal fitness trainer. Now, I realize you're probably saying, what do you know about personal fitness trainers? <laughs> well, I read books. What does a personal fitness trainer do? Do they really tell, if, if you're on the fitness path and you're, you've been exercising and you're doing pretty good and you can afford it, you get a personal fitness trainer. What do they do? It's not like they tell you to do something you don't know. They just encourage you. They get in your face and they stir you up to do what you already know. But you just need to be pushed just a little, don't you? Come on, one more rep. Come on, we're going to do another set. Come on, eight more. Come on, we can... And they're pushing you to do what you on your own would have stopped. So you pay that guy. In your churches, God set it up the same way. Because you know what? You need spiritual fitness. And you know what? The tendency is the second law of thermo. You're wanting to just kind of let it go and you're going to quit. You're going to get lazy. It's not that you don't know them. You need to be stirred up. And that's what we're, that's what we're here to do. So that you'll push forward. Actually do it not quit. The last verse is verse 14 where Peter has some unique knowledge that not all of us get. He happens to know that the end of his physical life is drawing near. Jesus showed him that. There are some people in the Bible who had that revelation. They knew their life was at an end. But notice at the end of Peter's life, what he's not interested in doing is saying, oh, by the way, there's this really cool thing I forgot to tell you. Let me get this in real quick before I got to go. No. He says, I'm not doing that. 
I'm just going to keep stirring you up to remember the things you already know so that you keep doing them. Because he wanted to have the same attitude that the Apostle John had in 3 John and verse number 4 where he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth because that's how you're going to exercise yourself to godliness. That's how you're going to see that you continue to grow. That's how this process is going to play out and you can actually truly enjoy an abundant life of blessing and perspective right now. Does that mean it's always easy? Of course not. Does that mean it's always going to work out in your favor? Of course not. But God is going to work all these things together for good so that you will be conformed unto the image of his son. This is my closing question. We can wrap it up. Are you currently experiencing that abundant life that Jesus promised? And regardless of what your answer, maybe some of you are, and praise God for you. But some of you would honestly say, well, no. Well, okay, that's okay. Thanks for being honest. The, the real question is, do you want to? Do you want to? Because if you want to, you can. You really can. And we've seen today how you can. And so what I want to do is just, man, let you do business with the Lord. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I'm going to wrap it up. And Heavenly Father, I want to pray right now for the brothers and sisters of this church. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do the work that only you can do. Lord, if you have put your finger on somebody's heart, and if they know, now they know exactly what they need to do. They, there's no, nothing unclear for them. They know that they need to confess a sin. They need to stop doing a certain thing. Maybe they're not in sin. Maybe they just need to apply diligence to continue to follow what they have let slide and not follow. Lord, whatever the case is, I pray that nobody would leave here without doing business with you, without dealing with whatever it is you're putting on their heart. And I pray as this week continues, Lord, that you just continue to show us the tools and how and why to do what ultimately we know we need to do, and that is just love you supremely and then follow you all the steps of our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for your holy word, and we pray that you be glorified in it. We pray in Jesus' name.